How many of you know what a one-trick pony is? Have you ever heard the phrase, a one-trick pony? You know what this is? You guys know? One trick. One trick. And uh, I've got one Christmas sermon. And I asked the Lord this week. I said, Lord, give me another. Give me a. a Give me a new, a different message for Christmas. Give give me a new text, a different message, and and he always pushes me back to the same message. And I, I guess it's because I need it. Um, I need it. Um, so, if you were here last year, um, uh, yeah, get ready. This this is a repeat of my one trick. My one, my one Christmas trick. And C.S. Lewis, he's almost always right. And he says that people need to be reminded more than they need to be instructed. Amen? He says, The real job of every moral teacher is to keep on bringing us back time after time to the old simple principles which we are all so anxious not to see. So I think, after praying about it all week, I I came to the conclusion that this sermon is for me every Christmas. And so, you you get to participate vicariously (laughs) um, because I think it's for me um, that I would be careful with Christmas. That it would never become music. You know, just background music that this awesome story would never become Muzak to me, that I would love it every year, that I would be in awe every year. Every year would be new and fresh and astonishing and staggering and stunning and amazing. Amen? I think it's for me. Uh, Lord willing, He'll have something to share. The Lord will have something to share with you as well. A few years ago, I read a book by Eugene Peterson. He's the guy that wrote the Message Bible. He paraphrased the Scripture in the Message Bible. Uh, And it's a book about... It was written by Eugene Peterson, who is a pastor. It was written to pastors um, about being a pastor. So, obviously, you might not enjoy it so much, but he said something in there that, that I never forgot. He was talking about how an average pastor is treated by the average congregation and even by some in the average community in your average church. He says this, Everyone treats us so nicely, no one seems to think we mean what we say. (laughs) I think you've heard me quote this before. He says, Are these people right? Is their way of life in no danger from us? Beloved, you know, every time you walk in that door, your way of life is in danger. As is mine. Jesus Christ never leaves His people unchanged. His hands are on His people and He's completing the good work that He's begun. If the Bible is accurately preached and understood, nobody's way of life is ever secure. God's calling you and He's calling me to a deeper place every day. 
You know, there's no such thing as a spiritual recliner when it comes to born-again Christianity. There's no such thing as a recliner. You've got to keep your shoes on and your lunch packed because Jesus is going that way. Right? He's always moving. And that's one thing we notice in the Christmas story. Everybody's on the move in the Christmas story, man. Everybody's on the move. You just wait. We'll go through and you'll see. Everybody is on the move. God has come to us in the most radical, extreme, revolutionary way. And God has come uh, to us with a most radical, extreme, revolutionary call. Jesus Christ is the consummate subversive. He is the quintessential insurrectionist. He means to turn your life and my life upside down. This is what Jesus Christ does in the lives of His people. If we've rightly understood the meaning of Christmas, yes, that's I am in a manger. How could we possibly ever think that we could live like the world? How could we ever be comfortable living like the world if we really believe God's in a manger? And that's what it comes down to tonight, beloved. Do you really believe that God's in a manger? Do you really believe it? If you do, He is turning your life upside down. <laughs> he is doing that. If we look at the Scriptures, if, and I know you guys are, I'm sure most of you, if, almost, you know, if not all of you, are very familiar with the Christmas story. And as you read through the Gospels, you see that there, there's, it's, this story is full of awe and wonder and surrender and obedience and sacrifice and joy and worship and the miraculous... Is that going on in your life? <laughs> it's going on in all the participants here in, in the Christmas story. And, it, and to paraphrase, uh, paraphrase Eugene Peterson, he says, everyone's way of life is in danger. Nobody in the Christmas story, nobody's life stayed the same. Every one of them. Their life was turned upside down. This is what God does in the life of... His people. Eternal, infinite, almighty Creator God is in a manger. It's a breathtaking thing, is it not? If it's not breathtaking, you're not, you're not getting it. You're not thinking deeply about it. It may be dogma to you, but to consider that I am is in that manger, it's a breathtaking thing. And everyone on the planet is implicated. Every man, every woman, every boy, and every girl. You remember that great movie, Jesus of Nazareth? And, and of course, it's a fictional account there. And Peter and Matthew are sitting around the fire. And Peter says, well, I'll go back in the spring. And Matthew says, you're never going back. He says, you're never going to fish again. You're never going to get drunk again. He said, nothing is ever going to be the same. The whole world will never be the same. And we're the first to know. And Matthew says, everything changes. Go, go rent that movie. It's a great movie. Uh, Jesus of Nazareth by uh, Franco Zeffirelli. It's a great movie. It's one of my, it really is the only movie about Jesus that, that I can, can watch. Uh, most of them are not so good. Um, I, love how you, I love how Charles Spurgeon, that great 19th century English preacher, this is my favorite Christmas quote. Infinite yet infant, eternal yet born, 
almighty yet suckled, upholding a universe yet laying in a manger. Don't you love it? God is in a manger. Do you believe it? I'm going to challenge you tonight. Do you really believe it? Or is it simply good theology for you? J.I. Packer says, the more you think about it, the more staggering it is. So I want to challenge you. You know, it is a shocking reality. If you think about it for more than two minutes, you either have to discard it as myth, or you have to get on your face and worship. There's There's nothing really in between. It's either myth, and it doesn't matter at all. Or God really is in that manger, and everything has changed, and He matters more to me than anything else in the cosmos. There's no place in the middle. So, is, is this myth to you? Or is He your God? Is He your Savior? Is He your Lord and Master? To me, this is what biblical Christianity is. <laughs> it's staggered people. We, you know, we're staggered by this unbelievable truth and we're just trying to live it out, Right? The awe and the wonder of it. We're just, we're just trying to, to, to drink it in and live it out. That this really, this, God has loved me like this. God has come for me. God is in a manger. I am is in a manger. The God who effortlessly spoke 400 plus billion galaxies, and there's probably more. That's the latest number I've seen in print. He's in the manger. <laughs> I mean... How can you be lukewarm about that? How can we be beloved? How could we be possibly be lukewarm about that? We've got to go live it. If we believe it, we've got to go live it. Uh, Charles Spurgeon again, he says, you know, real Christians are spoiled for this world. I love that quote. If God's really in that manger, could anything else really capture my affections? Could anything really distract me from Jesus Christ if He really is in that manger and He really is in that manger because He loves me? How could I ever be distracted with anything in the world if that's true? Amen? If that's true! If that's how God loves me! (laughs) This awesome God took on flesh. How could anything? We are spoiled for this world. It makes me think of that. The way Pilgrim's Progress opens. I know I've shared this with you before, but you remember Pilgrim has this great burden on his back and, and he runs into evangelist and evangelist says, well, you see that narrow great gate on the far side of the field, you need to run to that narrow gate. You remember, the, you remember the account? And Christian takes off, right? And his friends and his family, they come out and they, they, they yell at Christian, Christian, come back! Don't be a fanatic! <laughs> You know, just do a little church on Sunday. Don't be, don't be a fanatic. Come back. You know what Christian did? He put his fingers in his ears, and he he was he was shouting, he was shouting, life, life, eternal life. He was on the move, beloved. And when you read the Christmas story, everybody in the story, all the believers, they're on the. And I'm challenging you to be on the move in your Christianity. Don't you sit down and get comfortable. You go 
with Jesus. Go with Jesus. Spurgeon is right. Real Christians are staggered by the compelling beauty of this biblical truth. We are indeed spoiled for this world. We could never love anything in this world like we love Jesus. Nothing. No one or no thing. We are spoiled for this world. So I want to make sure, I want to stop, make sure you understand and hear me. I stand here on the authority of the 66 books of the Bible and I'm telling you that God is in a manger. And we know why He's in that manger, right? Because He's come to redeem His people. So I want to ask, do you hear me? Do you hear me? Do you understand me? I am is in the womb. I am is in the manger. Do you understand me? Do you believe it? Will you live it? Christianity, biblical Christianity is never academic. It's never theoretical. It's always applied. The question is, will you live it? In seminary, we spent one summer. I took a special class. It was called the Incarnation. So I'm going to get to the bottom of this, right? <laughs> we read all of the best theologians in the history of the church. And of course, all the best theologians believe in the Incarnation. Simply, that's just a big word that means that God took on flesh and became a man. They all believe it, but none of them can explain it, right? It's another one of those things we're not supposed to be able to explain. We're simply supposed to worship. He's the God-man. He is the God-man. And there's only one reasonable response to the fact that God is in that manger and that is to worship Him. Like you're doing tonight by being with His people, sitting under His Word, singing His praises, bringing Him an offering. But also, when you go out there, you worship Him out there. Your spouse sees it. Your kids see it. Your co-workers see it. Your friends at university see it. Your neighbors see it. Everyone can tell you really believe God's in the manger by the way you live and the way you talk. They can tell it is your testimony in the world and Jesus has come. It's a spectacular love story. I think Josh got a little choked up there. It was right. That's right. It's a, it's a spectacular love story. We are in on the sacred romance. We're in it. God's come for us and we're, we're in it. This great, beautiful warrior shepherd has laid his life down. Jesus says, no man takes my life. I lay it down because I love my people. I'm here for my bride. You know, Christmas is, that's, Jesus has, has come for His bride. He's come for me. Every believer, every true believer, He's come for. He's come for. The bridegroom has come. I want you to turn with me just very quickly to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. I'm just going to read um, 
the first uh, three verses. Ephesians chapter 2, first three verses. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them... We too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. So we see here, verse 1, we are dead in our sin. Verse 2, we are captive to the prince of the power of the air. That's just a nice title for Satan, the little g God of this world. And then verse 3, we are by nature children of wrath. We are by nature hell bound. Now, these first three verses here in Ephesians, they are a somewhat sobering, if not terrifying text regarding our true spiritual condition. But I want someone to tell me, what does it say in verse 4? What are the first two words? I'm looking at the NAS. I'm not... What are the first two words in verse 4? What does your say? These things are, pardon me? But God. This is true. I'm dead in my sins. I'm held captive. Right? By nature, I'm a child of wrath. But God. But God what? But God's in a manger. This is why I always had to preach this sermon on Christmas. I, I can't get off this sermon. But God. God. Is in a manger, dead, yes, captive, yes, damned, yes, but God's in a manger for me. Beloved, you're supposed to take this personal. <laughs> if you're not taking your Christianity, Christianity personal, you're not, you know, you're not understanding it. It's personal. He came for you. He came for you. Verse 4, But God, being rich in mercy because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, He made us alive together with Christ. It's, uh, the analogy here is both correct and vivid. We are Lazarus. We are in the tomb. And we're not coming out. We're dead. How did Lazarus come out? Jesus called him out. Where there was no life, Jesus brought life. Nothing shall be impossible with God. You heard Bless and read it in the text. God supernaturally creates life where there is no life. It's part of the Christmas story. Mary says, how can I have a son? I am a virgin. A virgin can't have a son. Right? God does it. God brings life where there is no life. This is what our great and awesome God does. And I am is in a manger because He is going to the cross. Because Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1-3 through is true about every man, woman, boy, and girl on the planet. Jesus has come to save a people for Himself. He's going to the cross that His dead people might be made alive. I was doing a word study on this. You know the text in John. I think it's John 10. I don't remember now. But about the abundant life. We have the abundant life. One of the Greek meanings there that I saw in one of the word studies was 
It, it's a more than necessary life. Don't you love it? God comes to give His people a more than necessary life. It's not just any life. It's huge. It's God-sized, right? If we'll embrace it, if we go with Jesus. I mean, we can, you know, we can sit down and, and play church or we can, we, can, we can walk with Christ, right? We can walk with, with Christ more than necessary kind of life. We were dead, but God is in a manger. We were slaves and captives, but God is in a manger. We were children of wrath, but God is in a manger. And He's going to the cross for me. This is the unfathomable love of God. And I want to challenge you, beloved, don't let it be small this year. I think all Christians, especially if you've been a Christian for a number of years, it can become background music. I challenge you to meditate deeply on this. Get alone by yourself and think deeply about it. Think deeply about it. God is in a manger. I've said it many times from this pulpit. Let the whole created order and every being in it stand in stunned, staggered, breathless awe. God is in a manger and God is going to the cross. How can you not be stunned by that fact? God has saved us. He didn't send some subordinate. <laughs> he didn't send some underling. He didn't send an aide. He didn't send an associate. He came, right? <laughs> he came. Himself. Transcendent God takes on flesh and humbles Himself unto death, even death on a cross. It made me think as I was studying, studying this uh, yesterday, it made me think of Isaiah 45 where God says, there's no God like Me, a righteous God and a Savior. There's no God like Jehovah God. Nobody saves like He saves. Nobody loves like He loves. Nobody redeems like He redeems. I want this to be your best Christmas. I want you to be in awe, beloved. I want you to be on your face. If not literally, figuratively. Wouldn't hurt to be a little literal there either. Be on your face about this breathtaking reality. God has come for me. God has come for me. <laughs> yeah, I think this is for me because, man, I think I can run another year just on this, right? God has come for me. I can, I can make it till next Christmas. I'll preach this sermon again, right? I can do it. My God has come for me. God has come for me. My God has come for me. God says things like this, I've chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. God says things like, I've freely given you all good things. God says, I rejoice in doing good for you. God says, you are co-heirs with my Son, so I'm going to give you a dare, maybe two tonight, but at least one. I dare you to go live that small. I dare you to call yourself a Christian and go live that small. That you are a co-heir with Jesus. You are an adopted son or daughter of the living God. I dare you to go live that small in 2014. How can we? We can't, really. We can't. If we know Him, we can't. But there may be some of you here 
that have gotten a little spiritually, spiritually lethargic or apathetic. You've gotten distracted with something else in your life. I'm challenging you here tonight. Think deeply about the Christmas story. Think deeply about it. If you do, you won't be able to live it small. <laughs> you will not be able to live it small. So, beloved, how can you not be staggered by this reality? How can you not fall in love with Him? Above everything else in your life, which we are called to, God is to be our supreme love. We know if we read our Bibles, God is our supreme love. And if we love God supremely, then, then we really know how to love our spouse. Then we really know how to love our kids. Then we really know how to love uh, the brethren in the church. Then we know how to love our neighbor and our co-worker and our fellow student. If we're lo in love with Christ supremely, then we can truly love those around us in the way that we ought. Do you really believe that God is in a manger you really believe it? If you believe it, it'll, it'll blow up your life. <laughs> He'll blow up your life. If you think deeply about it, and you just meditate, you know, you can just tape it on the, on, right above your bed. I am is in a manger! Every day! And you go, Mamma Mia! <laughs> I may have used that in the wrong context. But a shout of exclamation! God is in a manger! Because He loves me. I mean, I know we all have hard days, but I'm, saying, I'm thinking, man, if we could get like on that train right there, if we could get on that train of thought, right? When the hard things come, God's in a manger. When we can't cry anymore, God's in a manger. When we can't hurt anymore, God's in a manger because He loves me. I think this is the way we're supposed to do Christianity, beloved. Google tells me there are 2.2 billion people who profess to believe that God is in that manger. And in a couple of weeks, many of these people will start to pour into the church. You know, the folks that come once or twice a year, but you can tell they don't really believe it because it's not in their life. You can't really believe it and it not impact every sphere of your life. If you believe it, your way of life is in danger, as Eugene Peterson says. It's always in danger. Always. To really believe is to be forever changed. And it's, again, as I said earlier, it's one of the compelling truths of the Christmas story. Those involved in it all of their lives were turned upside down. You heard the text read about Mary, Luke chapter 1. Can you imagine? There were obviously a lot of practical implications here. You agree? She's a virgin. She's betrothed. She's found to be pregnant. What's everybody going to think? Right? I mean, there's serious ramifications here. Serious ramifications Legal and personal risks here. The whole thing is fraught with peril. But did you hear Mary's response? You know, sometimes if you're walking with Jesus, it's risky. It's costly. We, all you have to do is read your Bible. It, it just is sometimes. And for Mary to go with Jesus on this deal, it was extremely risky. 
and costly. But you remember what she said. She called herself the bond slave of the Lord. She surrendered herself to God. Luke 1.38, she said, Be it done to me according to your word. Don't you love it? Let that be your prayer in 2014, beloved. Be it done unto me according to your word, great God and King. Right? That's real Christianity, man. That's somebody who believes in the cross. You know, when God blows up your life, God blows up my life, it, it always looks hard. <laughs> it always looks impossible. But we heard the text read, nothing is impossible with God. How about Joseph? I mean, can you imagine all the questions Joseph had about this? Right? I mean, there are a lot of implications for him too. It's, it's, it's fraught with uncertainty and it's problematic at every turn. But you remember Joseph, what Joseph did. Uh, Matthew one twenty four says, Joseph did all the Lord commanded. Beloved, let that be your testimony this year, this new year, 2014. Do all that the Lord commands. Let that be your testimony. Even when He calls you to do something, you know, you can't see your way clear. I mean, you, you, it doesn't seem to make sense. I mean, none of this is making sense to, to Mary and Joseph, right? They're just believing God and obeying God. That's what it comes down to. Amen? Faith. Hebrews 11, verse 6. The shepherds. What about the shepherds? Luke chapter 2. You know, God invades their life and He reveals a new truth to them and they don't stand around and talk about it. They go straight to Jesus. If you, if you read the, the text there, uh, they go straight to Jesus in haste and on their way giving testimony, glorifying and praising God. Let that be your testimony in 2014. You believe that God's in a manger? Follow Jesus. Glorify Jesus. Praise Jesus in your life. We say, we say it all the time in this church. You know, you, you, can't, you can't be lukewarm and go with, with, and go with Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is a white-hot God. And you can't be lukewarm and go with Him. We see these, we see these shepherds here. They're expending energy to go and be with Jesus the Magi. You remember the Magi? I think these guys traveled between 800 and 1,000 kilometers. I don't know exactly. That was no small matter in that day. But they had one thing on their mind. They were going to worship this King. Let that be the testimony of your life in 2014. I will worship Jesus Christ. How did they worship Him? With some small token? How did they worship Him? Someone tell me. How did the wise man worship Jesus? They laid great riches at His feet. Extravagantly! Right? That's how they worship. Extravagantly. Do you see that every person in the Christmas story is on the move? <laughs> Mary and Joseph, they're on their way to Bethlehem. The shepherds are on their way to Bethlehem. Magi, they're on their way to Bethlehem. Let me ask you, are you on your way to Jesus Christ every day? Are you continuing that pilgrimage? Are you on his, hot on His heels? Are you following Him? Are you making much of Jesus? 
in your life. The Magi, you remember they, they, uh, they came and, and the text says they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. You know, joy is always the hallmark of true conversion. Matthew 13, 14. It's what the angels said to the shepherds. Good news, I bring you good news of great joy. Let your joy be seen, beloved. Let your joy in the Lord be seen. And when the Magi found Him, they fell down and they worshipped Him. The Christmas story is preeminently about the Word becoming flesh. As I explained to you earlier, it's about God taking on flesh. That's what the Word means. But I want you to see and understand that, Christmas, that the Christmas story includes another kind of incarnation. It's not, just, it's not just Jesus becoming a man. It's you becoming a disciple. Right? If you really believe it. If you really believe it. Another incarnation is involved. Jesus came as a man. But you become His disciple. You become His Disciple, we know what James 1.22 tells us to do, to be doers of the Word. I know we touch on that verse pretty frequently in this church. So the Christmas story is about the Word becoming flesh, and it's also about the Word becoming flesh in us, beloved. It's one of the compelling truths of those involved in the Christmas story. They went after Jesus with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. They were disciples. By virtue of their belief and their obedience, they were disciples. Sometimes people will say to me, uh, wow, that guy was radically converted. you ever hear anyone say that? That guy was radically converted. <laughs> there's no other kind, right? <laughs> there's, there's only one kind of true conversion in Christianity. Radical! I once was lost, but now I'm found. I once was blind, but now I see. Right? Every man who's in Christ, behold, the old things have passed away, the new things have come. Every true conversion is radical. If it's not radical, it's just someone becoming a church member. Which happens all the time. People just become church members. I want to have my name on the roll down at the church. Well, that's great. What I want to say to you is, God's not impressed with church membership. You should be a member of a church. You should be in a church. You should be loving and serving that church. We talked a lot about it last week. You should be. But it's got to be deeper than that, beloved. It's got to be deeper than that. It's got to be about God's taking out that heart of stone. He put in that heart of flesh. And I love Him above all in my life. Let's just take a few examples of the New Testament. I'm about done. Men and women who really believed God was in that manger. How about Matthew, James, John, and Andrew? They left their careers. Life-altering faith. How about Zacchaeus? Refunded, uh, refunded four times what he had defrauded. Life-altering repentance. How about Peter? He got out of the boat and he walked on the water. Life-altering trust. How about Paul? Persecuted at every turn. Continued to plant churches in Asia and Europe. Life-altering ministry. 
about the Macedonians who gave abundantly and libra- uh, with all liberality out of their deep poverty. Life-altering giving. How about Stephen who was martyred as he preached? Life-altering obedience. How about Mary of Bethany? She broke the vial. A year's wages worshiping her Lord and her Savior. Life-altering worship. This is what the Christmas story looks like in your life, beloved. If you really believe it. This is what it looks like. (laughs) Former ways of life are always in danger. (laughs) They're always in danger. And you know, it's not simply when you become a Christian, it's a progressive thing. God is always taking you to the new place. He's burning off the dross, right? Is He not burning off the dross? Is He burning off the dross in your life? That's what God does. He burns off the dross. He's going to bring you to purity. He's going to bring you into conformity with His Son. So, do you believe the Christmas story? Do you believe God is there? God says the Word was made flesh and I expect my children to flesh out my Word. That's the Christmas story. God's in a manger. He saved us. Then He calls us. Go live it. Go live. Go live this awesome reality. It's what we see in the Christmas story. Risk-taking faith like Mary. Never look back obedience like Joseph. Wholehearted pursuit of Jesus like the shepherds. Extravagant worship like the Magi. That's what the Christmas story should look like in your life and in my life. Beloved, I know I push you around when you come in here. I mean, you know, we could do three poems, a homily, and a couple of funny illustrations. But that's not, that's not who I am. Your time is way too important for me to waste it trying to be an entertainer. I'm not an entertainer. I don't want to be an entertainer. So it's like when you come in here, you know, I'm going to give you my best shot. Okay? I'm going to give you my best shot every time. Sometimes you won't like it. Sometimes you think, man, I wish he'd shut up. I wish he'd get off that. I wish he'd leave that alone. But beloved, if it's in the text, I'm going to bring it in. I'm going to talk about it. So I know I push you around. And, and let me tell you something. God pushes me around behind my little desk, in my little office, and I'm getting pushed around every day, all week long. <laughs> so don't blame me. <laughs> you know, I just got to come in here and vent, right? But I love it when God convicts me because I know His hand is on me. Beloved, if you don't feel conviction... Something's not right. God will burn off the dross. It's what He's doing. It's because He loves you. The best way I can love you is shove you around some when you come in here. You know, if I'm not going to do that, I should just go sell used cars, right? I bet I could sell used cars. But I'd rather do this. As long as the Lord allows me to do it, I would rather... Do this. So I'm going to challenge you. Let this be the best Christmas you've had in a long time. Get on your face and worship. If not literally, figuratively, worship this great God. Worship Him like you have never worshipped Him. And let 
His Word be incarnate in your marriage, in your singleness, with your kids, in your career, in your studies, of course, in your church, in all your relationships. Let the Christmas story incarnate itself. This awe, this wonder, this joy, this love, this power, this forgiveness, this grace, this mercy, let it just flow through your life. And you can let it flow through your life. Because God is in a manger and He's loved you like this, beloved. If you forget how God has loved you, or if I found out that you forget, if you forget, you call me. And I'll tell you how much He loves you. But if I found out that you've forgotten, I'm coming to your house. And I'm going to preach to you and remind you what a great love. What a great love. It transcends, His love transcends every hard thing in this life. Every hard thing. And in a few moments, as my brother said in seminary, I've never forgotten it, and I'm done. He said to me, Jim, in a few moments, we'll be with Him. In a few moments, we will be with Him. Live like that's true, beloved. In 2014, let's pray together. Awesome God. Awesome God. What a great Gospel. What a great Gospel. What a great Savior. You've come for us in the most miraculous and stunning and staggering and astonishing way. It's a beautiful, as Josh said, it's a beautiful love story. It's a, it's a sacred romance. Who can love like You? Who can save like You? There's no God like You. So Lord, I pray that we would take it to heart, that it would fill our hearts and minds with joy. That we would be Your people in 2014. And we would live the power of the Gospel and the joy of it. Thank You, Lord, that You have loved us like this. Thank You, beautiful warrior shepherd, that You have laid Your life down for me. Thank You, Father. Thank You. We worship Your holy and mighty name. We confess and give praise and glory and honor to the name of Jesus Christ, the name above all names. We praise Him and we worship Him. Amen.